You are listening to MBR and on Mountain Bike Radio. Hello and welcome to another episode of Mountain Bike Radio and today I have Taylor Ladine. You've heard from him before. If you haven't, you should go back and listen to his first recording. But we have Taylor with us today, post 24 Hour Worlds, to tell us about travel, pitting, weather, course, all kinds of stuff. So, how's it going, Taylor? Good, Matt. Thanks for having me on. Hey, guys. Um, it's always a pleasure to chat with you, man. Uh, last time was a good time. So, excited to be here. Yeah, we've been talking for 40 minutes before we push the go button. So, <laughs> if that yeah, gives you any indication of how, how chatting with other bike people goes for me. Yeah, we lose time, but I like it like that. All right, so uh, they've heard some of this because interviewing Kate, she was talking about how you guys knew you were going to 24-Hour Worlds pretty much from the time of Old Pueblo. Like, you're still in a haze, and everyone's like, okay, let's go, let's figure this out. And you were committed to going from February, right? Yeah, yeah, the call literally came the day after the race. Um which was, man, it was just to be offered that opportunity was, was incredible. And then for Caitlin, like to, to kind of share the experience with Caitlin was, was amazing. Just, it was, it was something we couldn't pass up. So we knew right away we we're going to make it happen. That's awesome. And she took like a big summer break to do like a double peak for the year. Cause she did the, the, what is that thing called? Yep. Old Pueblo and then Arizona trail race. And then sort of took the summer off in a way and then started getting ready to race this. But you were racing like dirty Kansas and stuff, weren't you? Yeah. I mean, she had her plate was full. I mean, just to do the AZT 300, just to finish that thing is huge. And she absolutely destroyed it after her incredible performance at Old Pueblo. So, yeah, her beginning of the season would like, it still blows my mind to think back what all she's done this year. Um, for me, I was doing a lot shorter stuff after old Pueblo. Um, but I hit a wall right after true grit, which was a month after old Pueblo. It took me, it took me close to a month to get out of that hole, but then we raced, we raced shorter races, a little bit longer races. And then we did DK before. And then after DK, um, it was pretty much all focus on, or, um, Scotland, 24 hour worlds. And you did well at DK, right? Like you were top 10. Yeah, it went really well. Um, I quickly learned that you got to have power on the flats. And I think some people may look, if they look at a race and see that it's flat, they may not think it's difficult. And in some cases, I think it is twice as difficult than a race with a ton of climbing, because if you're just not suited for the flats, man, those guys are, it's, it's insane. And I got, I got put in the hurt locker pretty badly in that wind on the flats. And it was a, it was a learning experience. So we're going to go back next year, 2019 for sure. Um, and I'm thinking, thinking about doing the DK XL instead of the 200, but we'll see. But fill people in, you're a pretty small guy, right? Like you're, you're not a beefcake by any means. No, yeah, I, I definitely prefer the climbs, but they, those guys that ride the flats, they'll, you'll find out your weaknesses really quick on those on those roads, and and it was, it was a learning experience for sure. It opened my eyes to a lot of things, um, just how fast they are, 
like throughout the whole 200 miles and then on the flats they just don't let up like if you're a climber it seems like sometimes you use the flats as recovery whereas they don't they actually just go harder and faster the whole time yeah i'm a i'm not so good at a buddy of mine's a a pretty um i would say strong fellow Mm -hmm. he's six six hundred and ninety pounds probably and if we go uphill, he's just like, all right, man, I'll catch you later. But if we're like going through the flats, I can be drafting him and drooling on myself. And I have to like, I can't even be like, Hey, slow down. I have to ring my bell. At yeah. Him. You, know, I'm you like, can't even breathe. please." So yeah, it's tough. It's different. That's what's cool about cycling though. Is there's, there's literally something for, for everybody. Yeah. So what it, what was after? So after that, did you race at all? Or did you just hang and do your own thing all year? After DK, no, we went to Gravel Worlds in Nebraska after DK, which was a similar story, but man, I, it was just an amazing event. Um, and then after that, it was pretty much all focus, except a 100-mile race called the Barnburner in Flagstaff, um, which is a great event. Uh, it's like, I think it's a Leadville qualifier, but everything was geared towards just training. For me – for me, racing kind of adds a little like speed bump in training because you, you kind of have the recovery, a little bit of recovery, even if it's not like a, a target race. So just to be able to focus for months, a couple months on one race really allows consistent training, uh, no hiccups, no d- disruptions, everything like that. So I was able to, to go to different pl- places and ride that I'd never gone um, here in Arizona, which I focused a ton on climbing. I would drive about an hour from the house multiple times a week early, early in the morning. And there was, you could get anywhere from eight to 12,000 feet of climbing in a four hour ride. So it was just focusing on getting big, big climbing days in. Wait, that's so for people that don't live somewhere hilly, I, when I moved from Memphis to Colorado, I had to readjust myself from miles per hour rides to feet per hour rides. Yeah, and that's two to three thousand yeah. feet. That's like no joke. That is hard riding. Super hard riding. Granted, it was all on like uh, pretty primitive jeep roads, but it's this place called Mount Ord. Um, there's really two main climbs. The first climb you can do in well under an hour. You're getting thirty five hundred feet of climbing, and then the next climb is I want to say I could be wrong. I think it's forty five hundred feet in a little bit just over an hour. So if you do repeats on those, you can, it just adds up and it's super steep, never gives up. And it's a, it's just, it beats you up for sure. It's up at altitude too, which is good. And what's altitude for you? Uh, the top of the climbs at 8,000. So, okay. Yeah. That's, that's high. Yeah. We live at 1200. So I feel like I'm breathing through a straw up there, but I would go up there multiple times a week, even before work. Um, and it was awesome. I'd be the only person out there. So which is I was spending a ton of time focusing on that. That can be awesome, but also sometimes it feels a little bit not I mean, I training for this stuff is very lonely. It is. And I think as strange as it sounds, that's why I like the the longer races, because I like feeling that kind of like not alone because you definitely can't do it alone. We were talking a little bit before how sometimes cycling is selfish. 
Um, and I really realized that after this race was like, there's, there's definitely selfish aspects of the sport, especially the longer races, because a long race isn't gonna, it's gonna point everything out if you haven't done the long rides. And it's more about, I think if you can, if you can realize that it's a selfish thing at times, that that's the first step in, in making it not selfish, if that makes any sense. So, um, getting out and doing the long rides, I like to do them really, really early in the morning. Uh, sometimes I'll be on the bike by 2 a.m., but that allows me then to have a life after the ride to be with Mary and everything like that. So that's kind of the way I, I offset the selfish aspect of it. But you work, so everyone should know this from the last time we talked, like you still work for bike flight. So what would be your schedule though? So yeah, I'm fortunate enough to work for, for bike flight. So that gives me the freedom to work from home, um, which I'm really, really grateful. I wouldn't trade that for anything. So there would, be, there would be days where Linda, Linda Wallenfels, um, who I'm fortunate enough to work with for coaching, LW coaching, she would sometimes prescribe four, five, six, seven, even eight hour rides. And I remember a couple of times I would have to ride for eight hours before my noon shift or before my 10 a.m. shift. So there was a couple of times where I'd be on the bike by 1.30 in the morning and then eight hours and then right roll into the house, hop on the computer. So it can be chaotic at times, but it's not, it's only like that for a short amount of time, a couple months. It's not like that for six months, seven months. It's overall, it's a short amount of time. So, um, it's, it's doable if you set your mind to, it and it's something you really want to do. And that's a lot of it, right? You, uh, Kate talked a lot about this It's you know, it's a mindset. Like she said that wet isn't a mindset but happy is and she said she went into the race thinking about that so you know if you tell yourself i really want to achieve this goal and this is what it takes and then you have a support system around that because you would so you're telling me you'd be on the bike at 1 30 in the morning and then you would work from 10 a.m until you'd ride pretty much like you'd probably ride eat shower change sit down and then you would work until what would that put you at 6 p.m yeah, 6, 7 p.m. And then if I had another long ride the next day, which in some cases I would, some cases, obviously eight hours is pretty extreme. That's, that's only a handful of rides, but you're regularly doing five, six, four, five, six hours. Um, and then you're just right into bed and, and repeat it. And wow, that's, that's really hard. I mean, that's a, that's a lot. And I'm not, I understand you already said you're fortunate, but that's great that your job is, uh, you know, seated, you know, that'd be really helpful. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm fortunate in so many ways. Like I think, I think a lot of the personal drive for me comes from seeing people like Mary, my family and everybody that supports me. It's like, they're behind it a hundred percent. So I feel like I feel like I have to give it a hundred percent, not, not for them because you ultimately do it for yourself, but, um, it's easier to do it, to do the difficult things when you have people that, that are supporting you and, and, and believe in what you're doing. Right. Because I think that society has taught us, like you see all these, like pull yourself up by the bootstrap stories. And we always want this narrative of, well, they all said I couldn't. And I persevered and overcame and I did, <laughs> but actually when you have people like this is, this was going into Leadville, I would have customers and I would have mountain bike radio listeners and just, you know, their customers, but people in town, like I would be at their business. Oh, how's it going? How are things doing? You know, and people from 
back when I lived in Wisconsin, like shooting me text messages, you know? So when you know, you have people that on just like a random Tuesday are thinking about what you're doing three months from now, you're like, Holy crap. Like this, like it makes it, you want it because you know, all those people want you to succeed. Yeah. And it's not, and they, they would be there for you, whether or not you met your, your personal goal regardless, but it gives you that much more motivation to, to meet your, your goal and whatever outcome you're looking for. Exactly. Yeah. That narrative of like, Oh, persevered no that's actually like really hard because you have more demons in your head you know yeah it's like for sure congrats congrats by the way on leadville that was awesome yeah it was something um uh, i'm not i'm not the most excited about it but i did it it's more it's more than something if i mean riding 100 miles is is a big deal well i have another future goal that we haven't talked about yet that i was going to pick your brain when we were done recording but i have something much harder planned so Sweet. I'll be excited to hear it. Um, so yeah, you, you went over for 24 hour worlds and you've been, so you spent the whole summer really focusing on this and would you even like taper for races that you did along the way? Or would you just incorporate those into your training in order to maximize training? Or would you use, like you said, a little speed bump, would you use that as like a reason to taper a reason to coast for just a week to get ready to race or what? So with the plan that we put together for, for trying to peak for Scotland, it was perfect because the only race that I had in between kind of really in the way of Scotland and not in the way, meaning that like, obviously any bike race is fun. That's what you want to do. Um, but that I treated as a training event was it's called the barn burner in Flagstaff, Arizona. Um, which is a really cool event. The people there are so awesome. We know a lot of people, I travel up from Phoenix to flag. It's a super cool event. Um, and so that one was like a true train through race, which worked perfectly. It's not really technical. It's a lot of dirt roads and really high speed. So it doesn't beat you up like a, like a real hundred miler would, but it's really, really fast. So you get that training, but it doesn't also, it doesn't kind of beat your body up like a, like a single track hundred miler would. So that was really beneficial to me, um, for me leading up to it because it could, I could train the week leading into it, not rest on Thursday or Friday, and then continue riding um, directly after. So it, it was that worked out perfectly. And what you mean by that is like your legs were tired, but your hands and like your kidneys didn't hurt. Yeah, like it's like the fatigue that, yeah, after any long bike ride, anybody's going to feel it. But that's kind of like a good sore because you know you're going to get a benefit from it after you rest. Yeah, exactly. Um, so you, you raced through barn burner and was that the last event? Yeah, that was, I, I want to say a little over a month before we left or before race day in Scotland. And then I had planned some, my good friends, we had planned a trip to, to Louisiana to go watch a football game. And that was actually really, really important for me to have a weekend like completely away from the bike. Um, and just like mentally reset because when you're, for me, when I, when I set a goal in my head, I sometimes obsess over it and I can kind of go too deep and, and getting into it where it it can kind of be unhealthy, I think. Um, so we had, we had, we had known this, this trip to Louisiana was coming up since March and it worked out perfectly. It gave me like a mental reset and not just to overthink things. So, so going there three weeks before the race 
in Scotland was perfect um, to get away from the bike for a weekend and just not think about it. Um, and then you just get added recovery that way. And I'm sure you had fun, but you had fun in moderation, right? Yeah. Like I, did, I didn't drink any beer or anything like that. It was more about just like honestly relaxing without a bike nearby and being just resetting your head. And that's a little bit, we talked about this before we started recording, but kind of that because you vacationed after the race, you know, we talked about this with Caitlin, but like having that time where you can't worry about normal life, like you couldn't be at home and like, you couldn't just go fiddle with your bike and be like, Oh, I don't know. Should I put a new rear tire on? Should I not? Should I, uh, you know, that type of stuff was even like, it just wasn't possible. Yeah. And I I worded it to you. I I think, I, I don't know. I think there's this thing called bike dumb and it's not, it's not like you're, you don't know how to work on a bike. You don't know how to ride a bike, but you kind of, before a race, unfortunately, like I said, it can be selfish. You get on this one way track of just, um, of thinking about what needs to be done, what you need to do to kind of execute whatever personal goal you have. Um, and it's good to step away from that, at least for me, because if I get too caught up in things, it can create stress and stress does nobody any good. So, yeah, that's, that's definitely not, it's, it's very detrimental to be stressed. Yeah. And anything not let alone just a, just a silly bike race. So, so how was the travel? I know that there was some issues with the other American that, you know, heading over, but yeah, I felt so bad for Caitlin, um, with all of her travel going there and then for her still to pull off such an amazing result, which, Mary and I both deep down knew like she was, she had a really good chance of winning that thing. And she didn't only just win it. Like she, she laid the hammer down, which was so cool to see. So happy for her. But we had, we had no hiccups in our travel um, going there, coming home. So we got really lucky on that end. She had a lot of hiccups, but she didn't let it bother her at all. She didn't get off track one bit. And did you guys, like she said she was there a week out. What were you there? Like how early did you get there? Yeah, we flew out from Phoenix on a Saturday. So we got into Scotland on a Sunday after all the the time change, rental cars, everything like that. And finally driving to Fort William, we got there Sunday afternoon. So six, seven, six days before, which was perfect in my opinion. And the course wasn't public. Like you knew the area you knew that you were going to use for argument's sake, these 25 miles of trails, you just didn't know what was going to put together the 15 mile loop or whatever. Right. Yeah. And that made it, I think that was really cool because it added this, this weird element of like Scotland, it rained pretty much all day, every day. So it was like, when are you going to pre-ride when like kind of like babying your gear and equipment, um, to try and find the, the, the track. And when they finally released it, going out there and riding, I rode in just a downpour the whole time, super muddy, really, really cold. But it was like, do you pre-ride every day once they released it? Do you do a bunch of laps or do you like preserve your gear? Because you just know how hard mud can be on equipment and brake pads and everything like that. So it added this really kind of cool element of it, kind of like, in my opinion, what, what enduro races are doing, where they, they kind of keep the the track secret and it nobody can really benefit from it obviously locals will know and they'll have an idea but it was cool that's awesome and 
the course was fairly hard and there was like new parts of single track in the course, right? Yeah. Uh, looked like a couple fresh cuts done. Um, but it was an, I, I personally loved the track. It was, it was pretty short in distance, but it made up for it in the climbing. So total was how many miles? I think it was eight miles with, I want to say 1300 or 1400 feet of climbing per lap. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. It added up. And it was, some of the pitches were just so, so steep, which was, I think my opinion about a race like that, if it's, if it's going to be called a world championship, I think it should be a really, really difficult course, not just in the climbing, but also um, techie in the woods. And it was all of that and more. That's awesome. And did you, so Caitlin was saying that part of the course had to be ran by her. Were you guys running at all or were you able to ride all of it? So there was one little boggy section, um, which was like a fresh cut that I want to say probably right when the sun came up, I had to run it each time, but it was a really short boggy section. It was probably, probably a hundred feet long. It was just so deep in mud. I, I couldn't ride it. Um, it was, it was pretty wild there when the sun came up after the 20 hours of riding. So that was the one section I was consistently getting off for the last six, four to six hours. Gotcha. So how did the race itself go? From the, oh man, from the, well, it started raining. I don't know how, how far before the start, but I'd say a half hour before the start and it didn't stop until after the race. So, we knew that going in, like, like Caitlin said, it was, it was kind of getting in this mindset of accepting that it was going to be wet and cold and windy. Um, and if that was, that was a big key, I think of just programming your mind to like, it's going to be miserable, but any 24 hour, 24 hour race can be miserable, but this one, you're just going to be a little bit extra out of your comfort zone. So accepting that beforehand, um, it went off super fast from the start. It's, it wasn't like old Pueblo or anything like that, where, Corey and Josh were just gone from the start. I think, I think they put like seven or eight minutes on us in the first couple hours. Uh, and I had a feeling that's how it was going to go, but it was kind of, it was pretty much cross country pace for the first four to six hours. Um, and they didn't seem to be letting up. And then it's, it kind of settled, settled into your cross country pace once the sun went down, uh, which was pretty quick. It was a long, long night. I think it was 14 or 15 hours a night that's and just a, getting in the rhythm from there. That's a really, really long time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, and that was a mental thing just like beforehand and the week before. And, and I think Caitlin and I had a similar mindset going in of just like, you have to prepare for being really being comfortable, being uncomfortable. And, and that goes for any 24 hour race, but especially here. So what was the, how many batteries did you use? I was using different lights than at Old Pueblo. Um, I made the switch to exposure lights, which worked out really, really well. So they're cordless lights. They're made in the UK. And it was just, the, the burn times on those things are so long. So I was running the big light on the handlebar. I, I, th I think at 12 hours. Um, actually, no, I was running the headlight and the handlebar light both at six hours. So I had plenty of, plenty of burn time. Um, 
Exposure was there also offering demos so that you could have some backup lights, big charging station. Mary was on top of that. Um, so I never once ran out of battery, never worried about it. Always had plenty of lumens for such a long night. That's, that's a lot. That's, I just, we talked a little bit about like night riding and how it's really cold when it's dark here. So like, I can only imagine it just being like dark and cold and soggy and they've ridden away from you. Like that has to be kind of a like gnarly point to be at. <laughs> yeah, it was, it wasn't, it wasn't It's when I say it wasn't, that seems really weird, but <clears throat> it, you, I came to this place in my head where it was like almost using that, that terrible weather and not getting down on yourself about it, but kind of just like looking around and saying like, wow, like we're actually in Scotland. We made the trip. We've had so many people supporting us, believing in what we're doing. Like it was just, it was kind of surreal in a way of being like in these woods you've never been in it pouring rain, super windy. And just like, like we're doing it after, after all the talk and build up, it's actually, we're doing it. And so it was, I was just, I had made a big, I had made a race plan and I was going to stick to that plan from the get go, kind of like old Pueblo. And I wasn't going to deviate from it. So it was, it was kind of riding your, my own race and not worrying about what anybody else was doing. And I was confident that, um, that was a good plan of what I was doing and in the pace that I was setting. I, I felt, I felt really confident about it. Um, not confident in the sense of being like, I'm going to catch them here or there. It was more about being personally confident and comfortable, if, if that makes any sense. Well, and also, if you're trying to do something like this, you can't go... If you know that your 24-hour pace is X, right? There's no point in doing someone else's pace... Like they're either going to be faster than you and ride away or they're going to fall apart and you're going to ride through them. Yep. And I think I know for me, the, the, the start was, was faster than I had thought it would be. And it was a little bit outside my comfort zone. Like it was, it felt pretty cross country or, or like a 50 mile pace, um, for the first, first bit. And that was tough to just dial it back and, and remind myself, like, you have a game plan, stick to that game plan, stick to that game plan. And um, I'm glad I did because it's so easy to get caught up in, in the race. Um, and and like I said, when we talked after Old Pueblo, like, everybody feels good at the start, right? But it's about feeling good and comfortable at hour 16, 17, 18, when the miles and hours and climbing really build up in your legs. So it's it's trying to think about the big picture, but it's really hard to do it in, in the early stages. Yeah. That's, that's so mentally tough. Like I've never done it on that timeline, but yeah, I've just watched people ride away and it's like, well, and it sounds silly. Like it's like, they'll come back or they won't, you know? Yeah. You, you can't control what they're doing. And for the longest time I struggled with that. I would, I would work myself up so much and stress out about what other people were doing. Um, and you just can't control that. Like it's, I think it's with anything in life. Like it's, as long as you're doing what you know is best for yourself and, and your pit crew and, and you guys are just sticking with the game plan, you can't go wrong. Um, you can't be upset with a race if, if maybe you didn't get the result you wanted, but you stuck to your game plan. Um, I remember Kristen Keim, the sports psychologist that I work with, telling me that. She's like, you won't be upset with how you do if you stuck to your plan from the start. 
And so just reminding myself that the whole time was, it wasn't easy, but it was, I, I knew I had to do that. Yeah. It's, that's like really, it just that maturity. It's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. And I, man, I, I didn't have that maturity honestly until the couple months before old Pablo back in February. Like I just, I was like a gong show all over the place, not, not doing the right things in races or, or especially 24s. And finally, when I figured that out and there's still so much to do, like just because you figured out a couple, a couple of things doesn't mean you have it dialed, but at least acknowledging it is the first step. And it's, that's what we've been doing. So, so how did it go? Did they ever come back? Like how did the, how did the rest of the night or the rest of the race turn out for you? So, I think I was in fourth, third, fourth, or fifth um, for the first long bit, probably the first eight, nine, ten hours. And then it came down. It was between Josh and Corey were still off the front. Um, I really had no idea where they even were at that point. Uh, Jason English, who's also a pivot rider from from Australia, who's who's won seven of these world championships. He's he's pretty unreal to watch on a bike. Um, him and I were together for a long time and we chatted for, for eight hours, eight, nine, 10 hours. And he was pretty confident we were going to bring him back. And he was getting news from his pit that we were taking a minute, two minutes off per lap. Um, so we were reeling him back in. I wasn't asking Mary, um, anything in that sense. I just don't like to know that stuff. I was just going to stick to my plan, but sure enough, we caught Josh, um, I don't know exactly what time it was, but it, it felt late. Um, and it was at that point it was getting really cold, at least for me, but there was this, there was this point in the race where when we caught Josh, it was like, Holy cow. I can't believe like I'm actually riding with, with Josh and Jason and, and knowing that Corey's there, like Josh is really the reason why I got into 24s, like looking up to him and, I remember being younger and watching him race 24 hours in Moab and just being in awe of like, how can somebody go that fast for 24 hours straight? And I, I seriously thought like, that's a, like, that's like a superhuman thing, what he's doing. Um, so being able to ride with, with Josh and, and Jason at that time was, was kind of surreal. It was like, Holy cow, this is, this is really, really intimidating to be with these guys in a 24 um, and keeping that pace. I at some point was able to get away, get away from them. Um, and then it was more about just kind of ticking through the laps. And, um, before I knew it, I, I had rode up to Corey. Um, and it was crazy to see Corey because he was in shorts and shorts. He was in a short sleeve Jersey in short bibs up until like just before the sun came out. And I remember looking at him like, man, you are, you're, you're an animal. <laughs> I had been shivering for, I want to say 12 to 14 hours at that point. And I just was like, man, you're, you're way tougher than I am right now. And at the speed he was going <laughs> and everything, it was just crazy to see. So that was, that was about sun up and positions had pretty much been, been sorted between, we knew we were running one and two at that point. And we'd come into the pit sometimes at the same time. And then he just had so much more technical skill on the wet roots and rocks and, and dealing with the cold. And I just knew like, it wasn't that I 
gave up on trying to chase him, but he just could ride so much stronger in those conditions than I could. And he just, he pulled away after the sun came up and there was nothing I could do about it, but I was thrilled. I, I seriously could not believe we were, we were in second. At and that I think point. there is something you could do about it. Like there's a big difference between giving up, like you're a mature, you have a lot of experience, all this stuff. So like if you, you knew that at that point you're up, you were racing for second, there's a big difference between giving up and saying like, I can't go that fast. And if I try, I'm either going to pop or crash. But regardless, I just can't go that pace. I have to go a little bit slower because second is mine to lose at this point. Yep. Yeah. And we had built up a, 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 a good enough lead where we knew that second was in the bag. But it was like, I didn't really say anything to anybody at that time. But it was, I was so cold that there were there were times just a couple hours, even two hours before the, before the noon cutoff before the noon where you could finish in actually 24 hours. I was getting pretty worried. Um, I was that cold. Like I, we were fortunate enough to have, I mean, obviously Mary came to the race and she was like, like any other race incredible from not even from the start to the finish, but just every day leading up to the race. But we also had Kurt ref Snyder, um, who was Caitlin's pit pit crew. And then we had Hugh and Annie who came, they're from Scotland. And we hadn't met these people until the start of the race. And they were so willing to help. It, it was like we had known them for years. And for them to, to be there and help in the pits and like give advice and work on the bikes. Hugh was really good with changing brake pads. And then like for them to realize how cold I was really getting right before the finish was really important and meant, meant a ton to me. Cause I was, I was becoming, I was getting in a bad way there towards the end and I, I didn't really speak up about it, but man, I was starting to like worry. that you were going to just have to stop and warm up. Yeah. It was more of like, I've never been hypothermic, but if I could guess what it would feel like, that would have been the early stages. Gotcha. So it was, I was trying to keep, there, there were a couple things that I was trying not to whine about or complain about. Um, one being the cold, like it was just painful. Um, and then I had like a, I had a silly crash on Tuesday on the pavement before the race, um, going out for a night ride there from the, from the place we were staying and just crashed hard on the pavement right on my shoulder. And initially I thought that I broke my collarbone and I was like, this can't be happening. Like we made the trip over here and just had a silly crash. And so the, sh the shoulder was really sore the whole race, but trying to, trying to work through that in the cold, would, but it's hard because everybody's dealing with something, right? So complaining about it, you try to keep that to a minimum. Sometimes you're, sometimes you get a little bit too vocal about, about things that hurt and that aren't comfortable, but you got to realize like, even if people are at the front of the race or at the back of the race, everybody's battling something. So you kind of just got to, got to deal with what, what you have at that moment. It's kind of like a children's book. Like everyone poops. It's like everyone's screwed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's like, you can't compare your, your, your problems to somebody else's cause it's all relative. Right. And like, there might be someone for argument's sake, like one person may have wrecked and broken their finger for the, but it might've been the 
fifth time they've ever broken a finger and they like have that oh okay it's fine i'll just take my fingers together doesn't matter (laughs) but like if you'd never broken your finger it's like not comparable you know yeah yep so So you made that but the last little bit of the race and second was yours right yeah i there was a point before the finish that mary kurt hugh and annie were like you, you have to go out again because it, it could come down to a final lap between you and Corey. And I knew deep down that Corey was, Corey had, had, had done enough to win it at that point. He's, he was, he was on another level in the, in the rain, in the cold and everything like that. And just obviously incredibly fit. So, um, but then telling me I had to do another one, it was just more to secure it. And you, you always want to make sure you do everything that you can. Um, so rolling through, I think I came through the finish at like 1145 with 26 laps and I was happy to be done. I was, I was mainly happy to get out of wet clothes. Like I was, I was, I was struggling at that point. Yeah, that's, that's, I mean, it's 24 hours. It rained. Caitlin said it rained from like 1150 to one o'clock. So it rained for like 25 hours and your 24 hour race happened inside of it. Yeah. And it wasn't just the rain, like it was the wind. At the top of the track, it was it was so windy because you were kind of, it felt like above tree line um, there, so you didn't really have any coverage, and you just had this blasting wind at times, and it got the worst right when the sun came up. So you can imagine just being cold and soggy that long. And finally, when the sun comes up, usually you're like, holy cow, I'm going to get warm. I'm going to have that extra breath of fresh air when the sun sun is finally here, and it was actually the opposite for me. It was like, that's when the weather got really bad. That's yeah. That's it's tougher because yeah, you wanted it to get nicer and it didn't. So it was, yep. uh, it's almost like it got exponentially worse because you were expecting better. And it, <laughs> even if it continued the same, it got worse, you know? Yep. Yeah. But it's, that's just, you can't, you can't change the weather. So it was trying to deal with it. And maybe I was, maybe I was a, a little baby at times, but we got through it. So that ended up being how many miles? I don't know miles. I want to say it was under 250, which is really low for, for a 24 hour race. Um, but the climbing, I think it was, I think I climbed 34,000 feet in during the race, which, which for me is a lot. I think it's to do that in one shots quite a big, quite a big effort. So that's, that's where, where you really felt it. Yeah. And to put that in the feet per hours, that's like 1400 feet an hour for 24 hours. Yeah. Yeah. It it added up quickly and they were steep pitches. So you like, sometimes you, you couldn't spin, you just kind of had to mash up it and that beats your legs up. Yeah. That's fine for 50 miles, not for 24 hours. Yeah. Yeah. Well, who made being at the race possible? Like, how did you get there? Oh, that list is really, really long, but it's really important. Um, obviously, Mary is, without her, like, none of it would be possible. She believes in me more than I believe in myself. Um, and she's there throughout everything. Like <clears throat> like I said in the last one, she's. I think at times she's more invested than I am. So without her. Um, and then all of my family, um, like all of my family was invested. It was, 
couldn't have even gone to Scotland without them. Um, and there's so many other individuals like Russ Baker at Wembo, um, who gave us the call the day after Old Pueblo, uh, Frazier, who, who runs No Fuss Events, who the, the race was hosted by. And then, like I said, so many selfless people like Kurt, Hugh, and Annie. Like that's, I think that's what's cool about this type of bike racing is everybody wants to see everybody do well, even if you're racing against them. And so you always are having these people come to help out or are interested in, in what your picker is doing. So like everybody's willing to help. Um, it was just amazing to see. And there's so, there's so many companies like pivot hooked us up with these super cool American flag decals, which I still have on my bike and it's going to be really hard to take them off when I go to sell the bike. But uh, I'm sure you saw pictures of those, which was, which was awesome. They, Caitlin and I, they caused me to breathe heavily. Yeah. Caitlin and I each had one bike set up with those. And throughout the race, I was like, I just want to be on that bike. I just want to be on that bike because we were doing bike swaps pretty frequently. And I think I went through six sets of brake pads throughout the whole race. Um, and Hugh and Kurt were, were on top of that, switching the brake pads. But each time I'd get my other bike, I was like, man, I want to be on those. I want to be on the bike with the American flag decals. Um, but like people like Pivot, uh, Industry 9, Maxis, Infinite, Elevated Legs, DNA Cycling, Ergon, Rad Bags, Exposure Lights, Spark Systems, Cali, Seven Points, Chill Fit, Jolbo, Time Pedals, Stages, Togs, and LW Coaching. Like it's such a long list, but I don't think people realize like these things can't happen without people like that. And we... Mary and I both appreciate it so much. That's really awesome. And I mean, we've met in person. I think, did we meet at Moab? Was that the first time we met in person? Yeah. Moab rocks. Yeah. And like, you're just really nice. So it's very understandable how it's easy to support you. I mean, obviously you're fast as well, but there's a lot of fast jerks and there's a few (laughs) fast, nice people, you know? So it's a, I appreciate that, man. I think I, I feel like the the endurance mountain bike community is really special um, because it's in the big picture you're kind of racing yourself. Um, obviously, you're going to be competitive with the people that you're racing against, but like a 24 hour race, if you break it down to its simplest form, and even like a hundred mile race, hundred mile race, you're really racing yourself, um, which which lends it, which is really cool because I think that. That's why the community is so friendly. Right. Because like in a short track race, like that's racing, like heads up, that's race race. Right. But in something, anytime you go over like a few hours, it really becomes if someone, you don't just like sneak in a hundred miler win, you know, you don't sneak in a 12 hour win. If you're, you know, you might like catch someone out and they hit a stake and a short track race or cross country race and that ends their race because it cost them 12 seconds and that was the deciding factor but in these long things it's all about getting the most out of yourself and then comparing who had the most in themselves on the day really exactly and when you it's like i'm sure you felt this way after after leadville it's like it didn't really matter it doesn't really matter where you finish but it's like that self 
it's like that, that feeling of accomplishment when you're done, like, holy cow, months, so many months ago, I set my mind on something and we followed through and we finished it. And it's like, that's what in the big picture really matters instead of getting caught up in like a, where you finish, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's tough. Like I had a goal for Leadville and I missed that goal. So that was like a, a put me in a little bit of a funk, but huh. I still had like that great support. I had people that were even though like they would email me and be like, I know you missed your goal, but like you still did really well. Like there's a lot of people that would do terrible things that have that finish time, you know, like they were super nice, you know? Yeah. And like, I remember Caitlin said, I think it was on the podcast that you guys did after old Pueblo. I specifically remember saying that she missed her goal at the AZT 300. And she said it was a, she said something like it was a good thing. And I was like, man, that's awesome because she finds like motivation in missing that. It's not like she didn't, she didn't accomplish something amazing, but she missed a little personal goal that she set. She still did something incredible, but that's going to drive her even further, which is awesome. Yeah. And right now she's prepping for Coco Pelli trail and you know, that record is held and this is always up for debate. And I don't mean to belittle anyone, but like, that's a real record. You know, it's, uh, if you go back in time, like there was a, a women's Colorado trail race record and it like the person had slept in hotels and had taken uh-huh. a lot of care of herself and just happened to be the fastest woman that had done it so far. And then this last year we saw, was it Lael Wilcox and a couple of other ladies like pretty much go to like full knockdown drag out fight for 500 miles of Colorado trail, you know? So it's not that that other record was wrong or like not real, but like it wasn't a, let's call it new endurance record where it's like, don't sleep. You, you know, you don't stop to throw up type stuff, you know, like just go, 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 go. So, you know, it's a Rebecca rush record and that's, you know, that's no joke. That's no joke at all. That's no joke for anybody. Uh, and I, she, Caitlin is, is unreal to watch her. Like, I think she was, she barely missed the overall 300 win. Um, I, I pretty sure that's how it went down in the AZT. Like that's, that's incredible. That's absolutely nuts. Um, and she's strong enough. She's strong enough to win anything that she, she goes to. So it's really cool to witness and see how humble she is and, her support crew and everything like that. She has a, she has a really good thing going. So what are you going to do next year? What's next? Like she had a big thing after 24 hour worlds and you've just been riding around on big squishy bikes and like eating popcorn, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I did take a pivot, uh, fiber two nine out just to, to play around on some big bikes, but man, I've only ridden, I've only ridden four times since the race in October. Um, and that's, that's a, that's a planned thing. I, I'm actually getting back to structure today. Today's the first like structured training day back. Um, so a, about a month off the bike, uh, doing stuff in the gym, but month off the bike. And then the first big race of 2019 will be the true grit Epic. Um, and then the big, big goal, the two big goals of the year are going to be, I, I'm, I shouldn't say it, but I'm going to. I, I think I'm going to do the DKXL, which is the 350 mile version of the Dirty Kansas. I'm not 100% certain on that. 
but the big target is going to be the 24 hour worlds in Brazil. Um, it was like two hours after the, the race in Scotland where Mary and I both agreed, like we, this is awesome. We have to go back next year. And Wembo does a, does a great thing and we're going to do everything we can in our power to make it to Brazil in July for, for that one again. So no old Pueblo. No, no racing old Pueblo in February. I'm going to go down there. Uh, I really want to volunteer in the exchange tent. Um, I feel like, I feel like I owe, I owe it to, to help out there just because of how awesome that race has been to us, even in all the failures leading up to the, the race back in February. Like that, that to me is a special place and a special race that I really want to go down there and be a part of. But I'm, I'm planning on doing Old Pueblo in 2020. There's some things I want to go back and do there as a solo. And so. we can even go back to being selfish. Like, and I promise, I mean this half jokingly, but like, you don't want to race Old Pueblo, but you're selfish enough that you have to go volunteer because you don't want to not be there. But you don't want to be there yeah, just hanging like, out, drinking beer. Like, you want to be doing something, but not racing, but doing something. And, you know, that's the other side of it. Like, there was a race in town, like, cross-country race that I didn't do. And, like, I saw the, the like, rollout go past the shop. And immediately I was like, God, why am I not racing? And I was like, oh, right. I have. And, like, three minutes later, I'm like, oh, I don't want to race. I know I don't want to race. But, like, you know, you just want to be involved and you want to be there. Yeah. And for me, like the, the 24 hour races takes so much time and build up into it. Um, that if I were to do the 20, if I were to do 24 race in October in Scotland, and then I would only literally have to be able to take a couple weeks off and then jump right into it full gas again for the race for old Pueblo in February. So it, it wouldn't have been a healthy thing for me mentally to just go, 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 go like nonstop like that. Um, so stepping back a little bit and then a friend of ours, John Machula is doing it solo. Um, I really want to help out him too. He was a big part in our pit crew back in February. So just being able to see both sides of it, in my opinion, is going to give me kind of a, a better outlook on it rather than just being on the racing side. You actually get to see all the logistics and everything that goes into it. Cause it's kind of easy to forget about that stuff and, I think it's important to see it all. Right, definitely. And I was just kind of like digging on you a little bit, you know, but. Yeah, no, it's true. Like it's, you can get caught up in it. So that's, and that's, uh, I just looked up DKXL. That kind of makes sense that also you're really only going to have like one big race block in ways, right? Like if you go into DK in May by July, like you don't have to be fit in February and October this year coming up you only have to be fit like for this summer yeah yeah so there'll be i'm hoping to do more racing than i've ever done um like even in february january february december or sorry january february march um but that's all going to be just like actually like hoping to just ride my bike to the races here in arizona race and then even ride home just to get big big miles some intensity in there um, because yeah, I, I can't be fit that many times in a year. You have to pick and choose and to, to try and be in peak fitness for these long races is really difficult. So only a couple times a year would only work for me. I know others can race a lot more and, and do more 24s. I remember Jason English during the race, I asked him and I said, how many 24s do you do a year? 
And I remember him saying something like four or five. And I was like, how that, that is, yeah, I, man, that's, that's pretty crazy when you really think about how much goes into each one. Yeah. And how you can't do that on automatic. You know, there's not going to be races yeah, where you and, don't go through brake pads. You don't go through all your clothes multiple times. You don't go through this and that. Like, not everything is going to be a dry old Pueblo where you just ride one. You know, you could pretty much get away with one bike at old Pueblo and use, like, one brake pad all day. Yeah, and that's how it was. Like, I never I never got off my less. Did um, you race out less or did you race out 49 there? Uh, at old Pueblo, I was on my, oh. my pivot less at... Scotland, I only brought I brought two Mach 429 SLs, gotcha. and I'm I probably wouldn't have finished if I was on a hardtail there. Yeah, it's, when it's bumpy, it's hard. Old Pueblo is so fast, though. Yeah, yeah, that's a perfect hardtail race, like we talked about before. So, um, yeah, for him to do that many 24s in a year, like like you said, you're gonna hit a patch where it's the weather's not good, or you're you're not gonna feel good. Like it's just, that's how that's real life. So I don't know how he does it, but he's, he's an animal. That's, that's a lot that I couldn't do that. Um, not at all. No. Well, cool. So no, no old Pueblo, but you're going to race all year. You're going to race DKXL. Maybe you're going to try to go to Brazil. Um, and I guess your, your top qualifying spot in this year qualified you for Brazil next year. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's more, Anyone can can do the race, um, but there is an elite category for men and women. Um, so that's really cool to see. There's elite male, elite women, and then there's there's age categories for for each. So Brazil is going to be the big thing, and I'd love to race even after after Brazil because Brazil is the last weekend in July. So there's still plenty of season left after that race. Um, there's just which races do I want to do after a big travel and a big buildup? And I don't know about you, but I get these like these pretty nasty post race blues things, which aren't fun, especially for a 24. Cause you're on such like a high for, for such a long time. And then all of a sudden just like a, a big dump. And I, those are always tough for me. Yeah. And we had talked about this, like you ignore domestic life kind of, and I understand Mary's there helping you, but that doesn't mean that like after a big race, you don't have a bunch of, it, it really is only like three days worth of stuff that you need to do. You know, like you need to do laundry and probably get the oil changed in your car or whatever, and this and this, and the dog needs to go to the vet for his shots and whatever. But like, it's so hard because of those post-race blues to just get it all done. Like if you just took three days and did it, you'd be over it, but it's like, oh, I don't really feel like doing anything. And then you still have all this looming over you. Like that's how it goes for me at least. Yeah. And it's, I, I think what, what happens is you're like for a 24, all I have to think about because I'm, I'm lucky enough to have Mary and everybody else that, that supports in a pit crew. All I have to literally do is just focus on pedaling and moving forward for between noon and noon so then when you're done with that, you're like, oh, man. So that was actually mentally like I had to only focus on one thing. And then when you get home, you're like, like you said, you got to do laundry. I have to do maintenance on the bikes. I got to do this and that. And you're like, oh, I just want to go back to just thinking about one thing. Definitely. Well, cool. Well, is there anything else you want to add? Anything else you need to share? 
just how much I, I mean, I know I, I repeat it all the time, but seriously, how much I appreciate every single person, every single company that has helped um, not only in this year, but like years past and the buildup to everything, like it, none of it would be possible without every single person. Um, and I'm trying to, to really focus on that because like I said, cycling can be kind of selfish in a way and, and just really, really focusing on those that help. And like I said, I, 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 people, when we got back, people were saying that they were waking up like every hour and a half during the race. And that blew me away. Like that meant so much to me, even just to have their support like that. So, um, if I, if I forgot your name, I'm truly sorry, but please know that you guys are all, you mean so much to me and, and all the help is really appreciated. Well, awesome. And back to this, like I said, nice guy, Taylor, you know, you can tell that you, you, like a lot of people say, thank you, but like, you mean it, you know, you can feel it that you're like, I wouldn't be here without these people. And in ways those people keep me going like above and beyond myself. So that's really cool. And it's really cool to hear your story because I know that you wanted to do better, but it's like odd to see like, there's social media and you weren't complaining, but it's like, God, like he was second at worlds. And like, I know that he's like fit and fast. And then like to hear the more of the story where you're like, feel like you're racing like above your weight almost. You're like, I couldn't believe that I was riding with Josh and these guys. And like, that doesn't make any sense. Like, I didn't feel like you didn't necessarily like explicitly say it, but you're like, I don't feel like I belong here, but like you do, you know, and to realize that you're coming into like that level of racing is it's obvious. There's still a lot of good things to come for you. I appreciate that, man. Like still just looking, I always just look back to, to watching Josh race 24s and in Moab and just being like, man, I, I, I can hope I'll one day I hope to go half as fast as him. Um, and so just being able to just be alongside him at night and talking, being in the same position at 24 was like, Holy cow, this is cool. This is really cool. Well, awesome. Well, thanks again, Taylor. Uh, maybe we'll catch up next year at some point when things are going and you've gotten your racing started, maybe after DKXL, see how that goes. Cool. Thank you so much, Matt, um, and Mount, all of mountain bike radio, uh, enjoy everything you guys do and, and talking with you is always a pleasure. So, yeah, well, thanks for your time today. Take care. Thanks, man. You too.